0: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: It's 5 o'clock. It's 5 o'clock on the most listened to sports talk show for your ride home. What? What? It is time for. The Falcons report. Guns it. Caught. Touchdown Atlanta in the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. You shall Five o'clock Falcons report. Oh my heaven. On Duke's and Bell, we are Duke's and Bell. We start off every day and every hour by saying, "Hey, man, it's Friday." A couple of days from now, the NFL season will be over. Will be will we be talking about a win and a potential playoff
2: berth? We already looked at the Tampa Bay last time they played Carolina. It was a uh, wasn't a slam dunk by any stretch. Didn't cover, and, uh, you know, our boy Baker threw a pick, so anything, anything's possible. What did Garnett say? Anything, anything is, is possible! possible. Let's talk to Michael Rothstein.
1: He covers our Falcons for ESPN, and Michael, uh, it's good to have you back on the show. Uh, one of the things we've been talking about today, and I want to start here before we get into any sure. particulars about the game itself and how close this could be on Sunday, <laughs> Um, we were talking about should the Falcons give Arthur Smith one more season with a better quarterback. We put a poll up, Michael. It's at Dukes and Bell 929 for those of you who want to go vote and and let us know how you feel. We took calls on this. And I will tell you, it is an overwhelming right now no. Mm -hmm. Okay? But this sentiment is out there that, hey, if they just fix this, this is going to look much better and it will be much better. What do you think about this?
3: I mean, I've been on with you guys every week this season, I think, except for one. No, I was, I think, every week this season because I was on with you when during the bye right. in LA when we were watching the weird cart go back and forth back in November. <laughs> That's right. I think that you guys right. know where I stand on this because I, I've been pretty adamant about it throughout the year. Their biggest issue has not been Arthur Smith, their biggest issue has been the quarterback position. You know, Desmond Ritter looked good at times, and then turnovers happened. Taylor Heineke is exactly what he's been, which is a guy who is a high-end backup, can get you to 500, and that's that's been what he's been throughout his career. That's not a knock on Taylor Heineke. That's a very good job. They need a new quarterback, whether Arthur Smith is here or not. If you look at the offense – beyond the quarterback position. I know that's hard to do sometimes, but you look at the yards they've put up, right? You look at the, how many times they had turnovers in the red zone and what those points could have been. It's a fair argument to make. It's a very fair argument to make. I imagine if Arthur Smith is back next year, that is going to be part of the calculus for Arthur Blank. Arthur Blank has not talked with me to be very clear. That is just me, Michael Rothstein who has covered the NFL for over a decade saying that i i can i can easily make that argument and honestly i would probably come down on the side of that argument because i have i'm around this team every day guys you guys know that i'm there you know fixing what, whatever it is i think i've missed four days all year mm-hmm. i see that these guys still believe in him i see they are still loose There is not an empty locker room. There is not this tightness throughout the week. They seem to really buy in and like their head coach. And that, I've been places, guys, where that is not the case. And it gets real ugly. I've not gotten that sense here in the slightest. And that, to me, speaks volumes. I've seen what happens when you replace the guy who you think might be close with another guy and it doesn't work i've seen that show before you don't necessarily want to go down that road you got to remember and you and i talked we we talked about this what two weeks ago maybe i think but i think it was after the carolina game if my memory serves that with arthur smith you have to look at the totality of the three years two years he overachieved this year has been a disappointment but if anyone thought that they'd get the quarterback play that they've gotten, you'd probably say, well, this is about what you would have thought, maybe even on the top end of things. Like, I, I think that there's a very valid argument to giving him one more year with the understanding that you better fix the quarterback situation. But guess what? If they don't, then you, you know what's going to happen regardless. It is uh, Michael
2: Rostin, guys, with us from ESPN.com. As he said, there every day, and here's the deal, Michael. We talked a lot about you know the pros, and we said it. he did not lose this you know locker room. These guys believe in this dude, but the, the the ridiculous play calling, not simplifying things for your quarterback who is struggling, and then the question which nobody seems to be able to answer is who picks the offensive pieces? Did he tell Fontenot I can win with Ritter? Then he only gives him one series of preseason. How, how did they come to this decision that it was Ritter and not to go get a Derek Carr in the offseason?
3: Well, all right, first of all, when it comes to Derek Carr, Derek Carr, if you remember, kind of had in some ways his own choice because he had the no-trade clause with the Raiders. And if he wanted to go to the Saints, then he was going to go to the Saints. And remember, he, he went, if you remember back then, he visited the Saints. And he didn't agree to a trade with the Saints because he knew the Raiders were going to release him. And then guess where he signed?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: The Saints. You know the the Lamar Jackson thing, like I get it, and people are. But you gotta understand the Lamar Jackson thing, especially after what we've seen this year, right? Like the Ravens knew what they had there. There was no way they were letting him walk out of the building, right? Like you're letting a probable Hall of Famer, especially if he wins the second MVP award. Walking. That was never happening.
2: But does, I'm sorry to cut you off, Michael, but does, is Arthur yeah. that involved in the offensive side? Because Terry, all the stuff we've done as far as defense and the free agent stuff, I think Terry's done a great job. But I, I just, if, if he comes back, you don't play, You know, are you calling the plays and you've you got limited personnel access? I guess would that be some of the, the, the ground rules?
3: I, I, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a conversation for for all people named Arthur to, to have, uh, and I, I don't think people not named Arthur are going to necessarily be in that conversation. I imagine Terry, that maybe Rich McKay would be in there as well. Uh, maybe they changed their names to Arthur. That would help. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I don't, I don't even know if, if Arthur Smith would know the answer to that question uh, at this point, because we don't know what he has been. He has been told. He has not said anything. And obviously Arthur Blank hasn't either. I imagine that if they did bring him back, there'd be with the understanding of, hey, you got to make change X or Y, and, you know, the quarterback situation has to get fixed. In terms of personnel, they have both been very, both Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot have been very adamant that they make decisions together, right? And to think that Arthur Smith only has say over offensive players is kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. because. He is the head coach of the entire football team. I know a lot of people like to look at the offense because he's an offensive mind. He's the offensive play caller. But if you think he doesn't have a say over the entire football team, which includes the defensive guys like Calais Campbell, like Jesse Bates. Remember, it was Arthur Smith who was sitting there with Calais Campbell, you know, and and Fontenot, I believe, was in there too. But, like, it was two of them selling Calais Campbell on coming to Atlanta. Like, you can look at – the offense all you want but if you want to talk about the whole team like Arthur Smith has a hand of the defense also
1: let's talk about the game on Sunday um we know how the Saints you know and the Falcons have played over the years you know this Michael covering this team these two teams are very close I mean we're averaging 19 a game they're averaging 22 we're eighth in rushing you know um they are one of the top teams and opponents Points per game, they're only giving up 19 a game. That's six best in the league. Our defense has been really good. This is going to be a close game. My question is, who's going to make plays for us? Who's going to step up? Mike and I have been talking about whether or not is going to be available or not. I don't know if he is. That, to me, is the question. And I feel like when I look at the Saints, whether it's, you know, Taysom Hill or somebody else stepping up, it just feels like, okay, we kind of get a sense that somebody's going to make a play. Who's going to do that for us?
3: I mean, I think it starts with the guy who's – the two guys, frankly, that have made the most plays all year, and that's Bajon Robinson and Drake London. I, I mean, I, you know, and, and you can even throw Tyler Algier in there too because he typically had pretty good games against the Saints yes. in his career. You know, I, but I think it's – listen, it starts with Bijan Robinson, right? He's your – he is your playmaker. He is your top playmaker. It's not a knock on Drake London, but like we talked about with the quarterback issues – uh, Drake London needs a quarterback to, to make him a, a really, 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 really special player. He is pretty special. I know people want to look at the yards compared to Wilson and Olave, but look at the quarterback situation and also look at the targets, right? Like London's just had far fewer targets, but that's another conversation. You're, you're looking at Bijan Robinson, you're looking at Drake London, and both of those guys have made a bunch of plays this year. Like, particularly Bijan Robinson. Again, I think people. Um, look at the preseason preseason expectations for Bijan, and they were so astronomically high that it probably was unrealistic and maybe a little bit unfair because this kid, he still has a shot at being a 1,000-yard rusher this season and hitting, what, over 1,400 yards from scrimmage? I think you'd take that almost any season from a running back, right? Yes. Like, yes. And, and don't forget, he essentially missed a game, Right. right. Like, he, he essentially missed one game. He played, you know, four plays, you know, got what, three yards. Like, so he probably would have surpassed some of these numbers had he been healthy to play against him. You know, so he's had a really good year, and I think it's to answer your question, Beth, it starts there, then it goes to Drake London, then it maybe goes to Kyle Pitts, who has made more plays of late, and then you throw Tyler Algier in there, and that's, that's been the whole calculus this whole year for what this offense could have been. And it just hasn't been, right? Like that, and if you're the Falcons, you're, you're hoping that that's what shows up, and it looks like the Colts version of the offense versus uh, the Bears or the you know some of the bad weather games version of this offense?
2: All right, Michael, the big question. Uh, we know that he's on the injury report. Uh, he is questionable. We know that Dolphin will be out, so New Zealand will be in at center. But are we going to see Desmond Ritter with Arthur potentially Arthur Smith's job on the line of quarterback?
3: I mean, there'd be some poetry in that, I guess. Uh, but uh, I, talked to, I talked to both quarterbacks today in the locker room. Uh, I talked to Taylor Heineke. I asked him whether he felt he was going to be able to go. He said, listen, I, I'm going to try. Like, my goal, my goal is to go. He said he felt pretty good. Uh, he practiced on a limited basis all three days this week. But he said, I'm going to have to go through warm-ups on Sunday morning, see how I feel, and I asked him, what was that? You can read this. It's on ESPN.com uh you know i kind of asked him well what does that mean and what does that look like and he said you know well it's going to be the coach's decision at the end of the day but I, you know and i got to see how i feel and how i move and arthur smith had said earlier in the week he said it again friday that you know they're going to communicate with taylor and see how he feels and then go from there i asked Desmond Ritter, would hey you ready to do this again and he said you know listen i've been preparing Like, I'm a starter, even when I haven't been a starter. And this is my, you know, if my opportunity comes again, I'm ready for it. And, you know, like, we'll see what happens. I I would imagine Taylor Heineken is going to do everything possible to try and go. But I asked this question to Arthur Smith multiple times this week of, well, what do, at what point do you decide uh, Taylor Heineke, who's on a bum ankle at seventy percent, versus a healthy Desmond Ritter? And he didn't really answer the question. You know, he kind of talked about communication and mm-hmm. they see what happens. But that's a big, big question for the Falcons, and it's one that I don't know if there's a clear answer yet because they're going to need to see what what Taylor looks like in warm-ups and then go from there. I don't believe that that is uh, false. I think that's very, very accurate of. They want to see how this ankle responds, and Taylor has told me when I've talked to him multiple times this week that it's, it's doing okay. But you know, yeah, who knows what that means come Sunday at noon Central, one Eastern.
1: It's going to be interesting, to say the least. And Michael, appreciate your work this year and uh, coming on with us and uh, sharing all it's the been good- a
5: pleasure, guys. Yeah,
3: sharing
1: uh-huh. all the good info, man. We appreciate it. Um, we don't know how the season plays out, but we look forward to talking with you in the off season and certainly. I was- you I'm going
3: to say. I imagine one way or another, we're probably going to talk next. Week. Oh yeah, no <laughs> doubt.
1: No, we are. But All right. Like,
3: no, no matter, no matter the outcome of this game, no matter right. the outcome of everything else, I imagine that, that there will be things to talk about uh,
4: next week right. with this Atlanta Falcons team. One word answer:
2: Yes or no. Smith is back. <sighs> um.
3: Answer the question. I know. I, I, don't, I, just, I don't. Listen. No, no, no. All right. I'm going to get really, really quick. I'm going to just say this. I've covered a lot of these things when I covered Detroit. Usually I know by now mm-hmm. really what I think is going to happen. I honestly, truly do not know.
4: Fair enough.
1: And that's exactly what I've said to everybody. No one knows. Thank you so much, Michael. Appreciate you, man. Anytime, guys. Take care. All right, guys. Sorry, sorry I not even a badger the witness. No, I loved it. I mean, he's like, <laughs> well, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, Danny Cannell's going to join us. We're going to talk about this national championship game coming up in 20 minutes. But when we come back, strong arm story of the day, we have an emerging star in Atlanta, guys. Did you realize it? It's Dukes and Bell.
0: Nine
2: last time these guys locked horns. Course that was the atmosphere which gets so dialed in, Carl, for the in-season tournament. It's tournament, true. Tournament, it's uh, true. Yeah. Where again, everybody was just chucking threes. But the over/under is two sixty-three right now. So if you saw anything that you would not, I mean, I, I can't imagine why you'd have an over/under forty points less. I mean, I think you can get to that number. That's in the 130s, obviously, for guys who don't do math. So, yeah. but uh, And, uh, and uh, they're out. To, let's see. Who is it? Uh, they are without one of their shooting guards. I think Brown is banged up. Uh, Bruce Brown is a little banged up. But for the most part, you know, we don't have DeAndre Hunter, but that doesn't really matter, does it?
1: No, uh, he's been out. And, and I'll say this. You know, we were talking about this earlier uh, on the show as we count down, and we are, to the trade deadline and what the Hawks may or may not do. Um, Chris Haynes, who covers the NBA, Chris was telling us in the break that he is reporting that he believes that DeAndre, or excuse me, uh, DeJounte, is going to ultimately be traded. Who and where he goes and what we get in return, like all of that is still yet to be determined. But he's locked into the NBA, so he's reporting that, Mike. I said, uh, I told you guys earlier that there are two guys, I think, on this roster, Trey Young and the guy that I'm talking about in Jalen Johnson, who are untouchable. Everybody else, everybody.
2: Is available, but that's a shame, though, in the sense that uh, unless you feel you're going to go collect picks and then you got to convince Trey not to demand a trade in the next couple of years while you rebuild, is could you? I mean, how do you make this team better, but uh, without losing Bogey, which may be impossible? Oh, I agree with Bogey, you. Bogey's on pace for is a legitimate sixth man of the year. He's having his best year as a Hawk. No doubt about it. Um, you know, I, I think some of
1: these pieces that you feel like you cannot continue without, like for example. Bogey coming off the bench, he leads all bench scores, guys, in the NBA with, with you know, um, you're talking about, you know, 15 points or more a, a game. He's done that for like 18 straight games. So, Mike, to Mike's point, he is one of these guys where you say, do we want to part ways with the guy who has a reasonable contract and is having one of his best seasons? And, Mike, hmm. when we do need him to come off the bench, that's been the issue. Like, who was going to score? So. I'm not telling you they're going to trade everybody. I'm just telling you from the standpoint, if you're another team and you're looking at how you could add to your team, these are the two guys that are not going anywhere. And Jalen Johnson is an emerging star simply because, Mike, you know, this was a guy that was the 20th overall pick in 2021. Mm -hmm. Not number one, not five, 20th. And then he gets his opportunity. And, and, you know, Steve Coonan alluded to it. They trade
2: John Collins and this guy. Is actually playing better. Yeah, there's some numbers that are out there as far as, you know, he's averaging two more points than John is. And Granted, it's a bad Utah – Jazz. it was about as bad as the Hawks are, Utah Jazz team. But he's averaging two more – three more points a game. Uh, The assists are up, rebounds. He's just more active. He's just just got energy. You know, we we use that phrase. He brings energy on both sides of the floor. I mean, he was posterizing people. He just – I mean, as we said, sometimes a dunk is just two points. Sometimes it's a major moment in the game with impact and momentum. And that's what Jalen Johnson's providing. 15.3 15.3 points per game uh, has become one of the more efficient scores in the
1: league when you start talking about how many shots he's taken and all that. He's converted 73% of his shot attempts around the rim. Mike, he dunks the ball.
2: Yeah, man, that's just it. You know, you wish, you know, the like Capella, sometimes you feel like he's got lead weights in his butt, you know, or attached in his shorts because it's just get up, flush it, flush it. But uh, you never have to worry about that with Jalen Johnson, who plays above the rim. And, he's, again, he's another reason why you want to go down to State Farm. You know, Trey is doing his yes. thing, you know, every night, 2010, 2010. He's just behind Terrys Halliburton, who you see tonight in assists. But yeah, th- this is a guy that you know he's, and it's funny when we were banged up. You know, you, you did say well, when he gets back. Well, here's Jalen Johnson really coming into his own, and as you and I said earlier, I don't even think he's close to scratching the the full potential of what this guy can be. No, because I think when he came and they inserted him into the lineup, and you was, saw him down with the Skyhawks. Oh yeah, you know, he was yeah, developing. Well, and
1: you know, again, at the time, I didn't know how he fit in. You don't, you never really know how guys fit in. I- I'll tell you this: all these guys can score. All of them. Like, even the guys you don't think are any good, okay? But when you get to the league, it's how you fit in. What do you do that helps a team win? And so when he was down there, Mike, he's rebounding, running a break, finishing by himself, and you're like, okay, that's great, but you're not doing that in the league. What he's done is he's he's come in and he's become the guy from a hustle standpoint that you mentioned, and then he's taking the shots that he's being given. If you're telling me that Hunter gets moved or DeJounte Murray gets moved, guess what that means for a guy like Jalen Johnson? He's going to get more shots. Right. So, I don't know where this goes, but I do think that there are going to be some changes as we move forward. Tonight should be a fun, entertaining game. But as far as, like, hey, what should give you hope, you found one.
2: This should give you hope. Yeah, now, this is one where, if you're the organization, I mean, that's why I hate to lose a guy like Bogey. But let's be honest, guys, if you want to get, just for argument's sake, if it's Laurie Markkinen, right, from just, we just mentioned Utah, you got to give Alcagua, they're not going to want Capella, you're going to have to – and, you know, DeJounte's definitely gone. And then you throw in DeAndre Hunter. But what's the value for a guy? See, that's the thing. Bogey's going to have to be in this deal. That's what just sucks because Bogey, as we said, is having a fantastic season.
1: The upside for a guy like Okongwu, which I mentioned earlier, with his age, um, you really don't want to come off of that if you don't have to. Right.
2: Uh, I'm just thinking, like, what do you – I mean, do you think there's a market for DeAndre Hunter? You guys tell me. I mean, what would that be? He's never been an all-star. He's not, he's not an elite defender. No. You know, and he's an inconsistent no. scorer. No. Um, everything you thought he was and you guys told me to be patient, my patience
1: has run its course. It's, it's, it's been over. But at this point, and it has nothing to do with him being injured right now. And I'm not criticizing him for being injured. Injuries happen. I'm talking about when he's on the floor. I, simply, I didn't work on anything. I, I heard. I see. averages 14 for his career. We'll ask you this. When you watch these games, and, and James hit me up and he said, Dukes, it's too early to call Jalen Johnson a star. I said
2: emerging. Yeah, emerging. I mean, emerging. You see, but you see it. I mean, and, and, and not like Josh Smith. I mean, Josh had a ceiling, and you knew the ceiling, and you knew it, and you never you could never shoot a jump shot. <laughs> you know, I not, 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 don't do that. But I just, as we said, Jalen is, I think, can be better and more, and, and put fans in this because. Even when the Hawks are terrible, people want to go down and watch Josh Smith elevate, right? Correct. They want to go
1: see exciting dunks. But I would ask you, as you watch these games play out, even when Hunter comes back, or as you've watched him with with him, who has more impact? It's Jalen Johnson. Correct. It's not even close. It's Jalen Johnson. So that is what the Hawks see, and they understand it, and they go, okay, that's how these pieces become expendable, and you say, how can we make it better? But to your point about what's his
2: value, Mike, I have no idea. Hey, man, uh, we heard uh, Steve Kudan on last hour, guys, the CEO of the Hawks, reminding Hawks fans to vote early, vote often, vote Trey. Trey right now, half a million votes behind Therese Halliburton, who you're going to see tonight with the Pacers, who's really kind of become that, yeah, that dude. And then Dame Lillard is about 40,000 in change, or oh, actually more than that. Yeah, it's uh you gotta give uh, you gotta give some votes for Trey because he's about eighty thousand behind Dame Lillard right now too. Obviously, you knew Dame was going to be a big hit when he came east from uh, well,
1: Portland. yeah, we said that man. Now, like the competition got more, and and again, a lot of this is brands, right? I mean, Dame's been mm-hmm. a brand for a long time. I, I don't know if he's had a better season than Trey, Mike, and that is yeah. pretty much what we're talking about. But. It's going to be interesting. We'll see what they do. Uh, they play tonight, and then they play against. We're talking about the Hawks uh, at Orlando Sunday, and then Steve Coonan mentioned this next week. They get the 76ers and Joel Embiid coming in. You get Indiana, okay, on Friday night, which is what we're seeing tonight. So these, these this matchup, regardless of how it goes, you get a chance to see it next week, and then we have the MLK game, which Steve Coonan mentioned, and I know it's a you know a week or so away, uh, you know ten plus days, but San Antonio with Wimby Mike. Like, if you want to see LeBron when he first came out or any of these young stars that were hyped, that's a game to go check out. And and most people are off MLK Day, so.
2: Yeah, the dude is doing some special stuff. You know, you're seeing it. It's not just highlight reel. Can't wait. It's going to be a big one. It's January 15th. Correct. Carl, you don't even realize what you just did. what I do? You just advertised
1: the game for the Hawks highlighting the other team's best player as the reason. Yeah, because sometimes I want to go see the other team's best player. (laughs) (laughs) That's is Carl. It, yes, that Carl. is true. Hey, Carl, we're going to be on TV. Let's promote the Hawks, can't we? Come on. Catch. We will. Hawks Fever. Catch it. Hey, coming up, Danny is gonna join us. Brought to you by Bet Online. What does he think about the national championship game? Six o'clock. We're gonna talk to our man B Mac, Brian McFadden, all things NFL, and what does he think about Arthur Smith and the Falcons? It's coming up on Sports Radio 929 again.
5: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news.
1: The game, we know who's in the national championship in Houston, seven thirty Eastern on Monday, and Michigan is a four and a half point favorite. Joining us right now, one of our favorite dudes, Danny Canal. Brought to you by Bet Online. Danny, Mike, and I have been chopping this up about you know Washington's ability to basically score on everybody, right? They've done this in the Pac-12, they did it in their semifinal game, and, and now the question is, are they going to be able to do it against Michigan's defense?
4: Can they? Oh, that's a great question. I love it. Um, they're going to put up some points. Like, I don't think Michigan pitches a shutout, mm-hmm. right? But Michigan, like, I, I love the matchups in this game. Like, Washington's offensive line was voted the best offensive line in all of college football. They won the Joe Moore Award. Uh, they only gave up 11 sacks all season long in the regular season. And they're going up against the defense, which is one of the best defenses in the country, which just sacked Jalen Milro six times, you know, in one game. And they Rose Bowl, so I think that's going to be an incredible matchup. But they have so many weapons, not only in Michael Penix, the guy calling the shots, but they got three wide receivers, two one thousand yard receivers. Roma Dunes, they might be the best receiver in the country. So I don't think Michigan pitches a shutout, but I think the biggest thing is going to be can Washington's offensive line protect Michael Penix, and that'll be one of the critical matchups to watch. But I think they'll put. I almost think you have to give them fourteen twenty one points. Just because of how much firepower they have on the offensive side, they were the
2: second best uh, team against the pass. Of course, you know it is a little little jaded because it's the it's the Big Ten. uh, For now, right, it'll be better next year when they get those Pac-12 teams in. Danny, what about Michigan running the football right
4: at them the way Texas did? See, Mike, this is the uh, this is the matchup that concerns me for a Washington fan because as much as people are going to talk about strength on strength, which is the one we were just talking about, Washington's offensive line versus Michigan's front seven this is strength versus weakness because Washington, that has been their Achilles heel all season long is stopping the run. They're 130th in the country, their success rate versus the run. That is, you know, close to the worst in all of college football. And yet they sort of, they've figured out ways to get stops when they need to, but they haven't faced a run, a run offense, the way Michigan is going to do it. Like I think it plays right in the wheelhouse of Michigan not to mention what it does when you run the football. The clock is moving. You're watching Michael Pennick sit on the bench. And for a quarterback that throws it as much as they do, you want to get into a rhythm. You want to be getting a lot of reps, a lot of series, a lot of plays. And it can be incredibly frustrating to sit over there watching on the sidelines. But I do think that will be Michigan's game plan. This is a team, don't forget that ran it 30 times in a row against Penn State, and Penn State has one of the top rush defenses in the country, they will not hesitate to run it down their throat if they can. So this is going to be a massive challenge for Washington to try to defend.
1: So as we talk about uh, the Huskies and, you know, they got the stop they needed, right? Quinn Ewers passed to, to A.D. Mitchell, batted away Elijah Jackson. They secure the win. Does it come down to those things? I mean, listen, I still think it's going to be a closer game than people expect. I do not expect a blowout, Danny. But, you know, if it is close, right, you've got to make those plays like they did against
4: Texas. No doubt. Um, you have to. And, you know, it's kind of funny because Michigan probably, I mean, they made a lot of mistakes in the game in the Rose Bowl. Like they have the fumbled punt, you know, the botched punt, which led to a Michigan or, excuse me, led to an Alabama touchdown, the first touchdown of the night. They, um, you know, field goal, extra point issues they struggled with. Like, they did not play a clean game. And yet, when they had to, they got the stops and they came up big. Washington, it did feel like they got the plays that they needed to have when they had to, like, especially at the end of the game. But the one thing that I think, Michigan, or excuse me, Washington will have to do that they didn't do, if you remember in the second half of the Super Bowl versus Texas, Texas was coughing the ball up. They had two turnovers, and Washington was settling for field goals. Mm, I don't think they can do that against Michigan. I think they've got to capitalize against this defense. When they get in the red zone, they've got to get touchdowns. Because if if they sputter around and they aren't able to convert off turnovers or red zone opportunities, I think that will do them in because they've got to maximize every time they touch the ball. Because like I said, I don't think they're going to get that many possessions. 7 legend Danny Cannella with us here, guys, on
2: the com hotline. We mentioned this earlier in the week, Danny, is they even though they, they throw it all over the place, it's not an up-tempo offense. They do kind of eat clock. Would they change any approach against Michigan, or do they still want to do what they've been doing you saw against Texas?
4: I think they should um, because when you huddle, when you go a little bit slower, it just allows. And if you look at Jesse Mentor, the defensive coordinator for Michigan, I mean, he gave Alabama's offense fits by bringing different pressures. It wasn't one defense. It wasn't just rush form. We'll beat you with pass rush. It is confusion. And what do you want to do? If you're going slow, it allows them to disguise. It allows them to you know, change the line of scrimmage. I'm not saying they have to go out and be, there and be something they're not. I don't want to see them all of a sudden just go all no huddle. But I think they do need to mix the tempos up. Keep Michigan on their toes. You know, maybe go no huddle one. Another one, do a little, you know, a little muddle huddle, which is sort of a slower, you know, it's, it's, it's not full huddle, but it's mm-hmm. go a little bit faster. We're going to huddle. We're going to get a little bit up there in the line of scrimmage. We're going to go faster. Um, I do think they should mix up tempo because if Michigan gets comfortable and starts recognizing what they're doing, it's going to be a long afternoon. And I just feel like it's their best opportunity to have some success offensively. So I'd like to see them mix up their tempos on the offensive side of the ball. Danny, we've been asking everybody we've talked to this week about how college football fixes
1: the remaining bowl games. Next year we know it's 12 that will be in the college football playoff. Kirby talked about it after Florida State's game where this needs to be fixed and the people need to figure out what they want. How do you fix it? How do you get guys motivated to play in these additional bowl games when it still allegedly is a big deal to these schools who have six or more wins that want to, you
4: know, extend the season, practice, et cetera? Man, it is such a massive problem. And, you know, what's crazy, there's so many problems in college football. You know, I think the transfer portal window, the dates on it, are the, one of the more significant ones because, you know, if you're playing on January 1st or after, if you're a playoff team, you know, you're trying to decide, let's say it's a backup. I mean, we had, we had a backup quarterback for the Texas Longhorns, Malik Murphy, and I'm not picking on him because he did what a lot of guys would do. He left the team because he wanted to go transfer. Right. And, like, and he wasn't allowed the opportunity to finish out the season, which I do think he would have had the portal and the calendar not gone against him. He had to make that decision. I think they've got to address that. I think they could move the portal back, you know, and give exemptions for teams that are in bowl games. Let it be after January. And, and like the academic aspect, this, this, the player has to enroll in January. And sometimes that's early January. They want to visit schools. Give them some leeway on the amount of time they can go, like give them leeway if they can enroll a little bit late, like make it easier on them. I don't know if that solves the problem. You know, as I was watching that massacre that took place in Miami, and (laughs) I do appreciate Kirby, like calling it out because he could have easily said he could have made his case for the college football playoff. He could have done a lot of things. He could have done a lot of things. But I thought he took the high road. I thought it was a very classy thing to do to recognize that Florida State was significantly shorthanded. So I appreciate him saying that. But, like, I don't know. Like, as I was watching that unfold, I was getting frustrated. I've proposed the idea why not put all the bowls week zero? You know, have it be a bowl extravaganza at the beginning of the season. We've already seen week zero grow exponentially. I think it could be a ton of fun. You still let the teams go take their mini vacation. They can have fun. They can explore the cities. They get to stay four or five nights. It's a celebration of college football. But guess what? The game matters. Like it will impact your rankings in the pre like in the season. It'll impact the perception of your program. And most importantly, you'll get full participation. Nobody's going to skip a bowl game because it's the first game of the year. But when I say that, there's still some significant issues, right? It's a tradition. that we've seen bowl games after the season. You know, uh, what do you do with weather? Like Miami's beautiful in January. In August, it's miserable. Like Mm -hmm. how do you work that around? I do think the amount with the playoffs expanding, you can keep the top-tier bowl games postseason, but have them be playoff games. Make some of the lower-tier bowl games, those preseason exhibition games, that you'll get more participation in. I think that's a resolution, but it's such a massive shakeup to what we've known. I don't know if anybody would sign up for it. Right. And again, with the expanded playoff, that's
2: uh, as Danny Cannell joins us, that was just FSU's, you know, just blind luck. The fact that this is the last year that it was just four teams, because the thing is, uh, I was talking to Pat Forty about this the other day. Do you think we will see kids
4: opt out even with the expanded playoff? Probably. I think it's just an unfortunate reality of you know, money has driven a lot of these decisions and it's hard to blame them. But like I've heard some people say, well, the playoffs should pay the players, which I'm OK with. Like, yeah, we're at this point. But how much are they going to pay them? Let's say it's a fifty thousand dollar bonus. Let's say it's a and maybe it's just they signed deals with just the top tier players. Let's say it's a two hundred and fifty million or excuse me, two hundred and fifty thousand dollar bonus. If you're a top pick in the draft, that's pennies compared to what's at stake for you with a $25, $30 million guaranteed signing bonus Mm. if you're a top five pick. So I I think we have to change the narrative. Like there's a lot of players that have been told by their agents and family members that, oh, you could get hurt. And I know there are some examples um, of players that have gotten hurt in bowl season, but a lot of times like the medical advancements we've made now and not to mention that the chance you get in hurt are still pretty slim that's gonna be a you know an ACL or a significant injury. But if you do, teams will still draft you. You know, they're they're not as hindered where, oh my gosh, it's not nineteen seventy, where if you tear an ACL, it means you're done. We've seen players come back and excel in some cases become even stronger. I mean, look at Tua's injury history, Tua Tong below coming out of Alabama. He had multiple injuries. He had, you know, the tightrope surgery. He had issues. And it didn't impact his draft stock at all. You know, there's been other players that have gotten hurt, even in the championship game, that have come back and it hasn't hurt their draft stock. I think we've got to change the narrative. I do think the players can be protected, you know, financially, if there is a catastrophic injury. And I guarantee you the bowls, the playoffs, they would be more than willing to pay the insurance premium on some of those career-ending injuries so that, yes, they are protected. But I think we need to stop, you know, having this, you know, we kind of baby and coddle the players and they're giving this advice saying, Oh, well, you can't play, you can damage your career. I don't necessarily buy into all that. Yes, there's a risk, but there's a risk in everything you do. We've, saw, we've seen players tear ACLs training, getting ready for their pro day, like true. cutting on grass. True. Like it's just it's true. I I don't think you can walk around scared and just and live that way. I think you try to judge the risk and take educated risks. And I think the best way to elevate your draft stock is by going out and balling out in the playoffs. Like, look at Michael Pennick. What it did for his draft stock, the game he had against Texas, Mm -hmm. was incredible. And all of a sudden, the national stage is taking notes, and so is the NFL. Right. We take him here.
1: Great stuff. Danny Connell brought to you by Bet Online. Enjoy the game, Danny. We'll talk to you soon, man. You guys are awesome, man. Great being on. Enjoy it. Yes, no doubt. Looking forward to a great game. Coming up, we're going to talk all things NFL. Falcons getting ready for the Saints. Bryant McFadden stops by to talk with us about the Falcons, the head coach situation, and much more. Stay right there. It's Dukes
5: and Bell. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.